0: Reading tonight will be from First Peter, three First er, Peter three, chapter ten, verse twelve. First Peter three. Chap First er, Peter three. 1 Peter, chapter three, verse ten through twelve. For he who would love life and seems good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. We appreciate Danton reading our scripture tonight. We're grateful for all of our young men that take part in our services. We're thankful for their abilities and their willingness to to read scripture, to wait on the Lord's table, to take part in our worship services from week to week. And we really believe that they have a bright future and because of them, we have a bright future because they will one day be shouldering the responsibilities of the work of the church. We're gonna be looking tonight at First Peter chapter 3, verses 10 through 12. In our study together tonight, I want us to think for a moment or two about how good it is to be a child of God. And there are some great blessings associated with being a child of God. And for those of us that have made the decision to follow Christ, that ultimately entails a changed life. A changed life thus mandates a changed way of thinking and acting. And so Peter in a very succinct way, sets forth some practical statements that all of us ought to internalize in our lives. And so tonight we're going to be looking at 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 10 through 12. The first thing that I want to call your attention to as we think about what is recorded here has to do with the fact that those of us who have chosen to be God's people that we have chosen a powerful way of life. It is a powerful life, and there's a reason for that. Because we have, to the best of our ability, sought to bring under control one of the most difficult members in the human body, and that is our tongue. So we're going to begin by talking about our words. Note, if you would, what is said in verse 10. Peter said, "...he who would love life and see good days..." let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking guile or deceit. Did you note that Peter said, those who would love life and see good days, if you and I as God's people want to enjoy life, if we want to have a blessed life, a happy life, then here are some practical things that we can do to make our lives better or richer in the eyes of God. There are a lot of people in our world today that have a lot of problems, and many of those problems are self-inflicted. And one of the most, probably one of the most difficult things that, that people have to do in this life is learn to control the tongue. James talks about how the tongue is a little member, and yet this little member boasts great things. So there are a couple of things I want us to think about for just a moment. First of all, with regard to this powerful life that you and I enjoy in Christ, let me suggest that with regard to the tongue, there are two things to think about. First, there is the blessed tongue. On the other hand, there would be what we would call the bitter tongue. Note, first of all, the blessed tongue. When we talk about a blessed tongue we're really emphasizing those who use their tongue in a positive way. Now granted, it is a choice. How you choose to use your tongue is up to you. You can either use it as a member of your body for good or evil, for right or for wrong. The choice is yours. So with that in mind, let me just make these observations. First of all, The blessed tongue is a cautious tongue. There's a passage of scripture found in the book of Proverbs chapter 31. In that context, the inspired writer is talking about the worthy woman, the virtuous woman. He said that her price is far above rubies. He talks about the many virtues that this woman demonstrates in her life. But one of the things that he underscores is the way she uses her tongue. He said she opens her mouth with wisdom. In her tongue is the law of kindness. Now if you want want to save yourself a lot of heartache in life, take that verse and memorize it. Make it a part of your daily life. Before you put your tongue into gear, make sure that your brain is in gear. There are a lot of people in our world today, they speak before they think. That wasn't the case with this woman. Look at the life of the Apostle Peter. There are a lot of great virtues that we read about in the life of Peter, there are a lot of admirable traits that he demonstrated throughout his life here on this earth. And yet, From a negative standpoint, one of the problems that Peter faced on any number of occasions was this. He would speak before he thought. And time and again, that got him into trouble. And so, just learning to use caution with your tongue. A second thing that I would point out when we talk about the blessed tongue is that it is Controlled. Now, if you read James chapter 3, you'll find that the tongue is a little member. It boasts great things. And James on that occasion said, How great a forest a little fire kindles. And the idea is that the tongue is a small member in the human body, and yet it boasts great things. It has the potential to do good, to do evil. What we have to do is learn to control it, and it's very difficult to control. And James makes that point very clearly in his his short epistle. But what does it mean to have a controlled tongue? Well, let's just think for a moment about what James said in James chapter 1. He said, Let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. The idea is that we are doing everything within our power to bring the tongue in subjection or under subjection. How many times have you seen individuals in in our world, and yes, even in the church, who have what we would call a loose tongue? Somebody says something to, to them, and the first thing they do, they're right back in their face. They haven't learned control. Here's what Solomon said in Proverbs 15 at verse 1. A soft answer Turns away wrath. Here's something I learned a long time ago. I think it's true. You'll get a lot more mileage when you use honey rather than vinegar. And I think, I think there's a lesson there for us. Learning to control our tongue. To bring it, in, to bring it under control. Now there are times in life when somebody says infla- something inflammatory to us. There are times in life when, when maybe we are, are disturbed by something that has been said or done. And we can, we can, if we choose to do so, control our tongue. But sometimes we will, as we say in today's vernacular, go off on somebody. We would do well to, to think about who we are and what we are. We are Christians. We are God's people. As a child of God, we are to conduct ourselves differently than the world. If we react under, under trials and tribulations and stresses in this life, in the face of provocation like those in the world, what does that say to, what does that say to, to the average person on the street? It says that we're no different. Well, we are different. We are to be different. And so we have to demonstrate a controlled tongue and then I would also suggest it is a charitable we are to have a charitable tongue. Now in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 Paul talks about how love is kind and love does not behave rudely. A blessed tongue is not arrogant is not rude does not engage in, in vile language but rather it takes the high road. Now if you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 13 Paul is talking about love in that context and he is extolling the virtues of love that is to be inherent in the lives of those of us who are God's people. There are characteristics associated with with a loving disposition Well a blessed tongue Is a charitable tongue And that is it takes the high road It takes the higher ground And we're going to we're going to, to speak words that, that are kind and loving And we're not going to We're not going to Use our tongue In, in a denigrative way Now Secondly let's, let's think for a moment About the bitter tongue a bitter tongue is what we might call a reckless tongue. Look again at what, look at what Peter said in 1 Peter 3, verse 10. He who would love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil. Those who have a bitter tongue are reckless. You ever been out on, on the highway and seen somebody who is just, for lack of a better way to say it, reckless? On the highway? Why, sure you have. All of us have been driving down uh, the streets, whether it be Olive Branch or in in the city of Memphis, and have somebody come blowing by us and almost cut us off or, or do something else. And the first thought, well, they're reckless. Well, you know, you can have a reckless tongue. There are some people that take pride in having a reckless tongue. Well, let me tell you what, if you are a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, you're not going to have a reckless tongue. That tongue's going to be kept in check. Those who have a reckless tongue, they are the kind of people that engage in gossip, slander, evil speaking. In 1 Timothy chapter 5 at verse 13, Paul talks about those who are idle. He said they are busybodies. They're gossips. They go go from house to house, and he said they say things which they ought not. How many times have you and I had somebody come up to us and and try to convey some juicy bit of gossip? Now, we can react a couple of ways. Number one, we can listen to what they have to say, and then we we can spread it. The other way that we, can, that we can react is turn it off. Just tell them, I'm not interested in listening to that kind of stuff. I don't want to hear it. We can stop it dead in its tracks. Those who have a reckless tongue are individuals who engage in gossip. They're, busy, they're involved in other people's business. That's what a busybody is. I think that most of us have We've got enough on our plate at home. We don't have to be involved in somebody else's business. And for those who are God's people to be involved in gossip or slander or malicious speech, well, as James would say, my brethren, those things ought not to be. So the bitter tongue... It denotes somebody who is reckless. And then also, let me just suggest this. It's somebody who is rogue with their tongue. Now, the word rogue means deceit. Look at, what, look at what James said. We are to refrain our tongue from evil and our lips from speaking guile or deceit. When you look at the life of Christ, as Peter talks about in 1 Peter chapter 2, one of the things that was said of Jesus Christ is that in His lips were no guile, no deceit. Jesus wasn't involved in any kind of deceit. He wasn't underhanded in how he dealt with other people. Those of us who are God's people, we're not to be like that. And so, the bitter tongue, it's reckless, it's rogue. And I would also suggest this. It's a reprobate tongue. There are a lot of people in our world today that use profanity. And yes, there are people in the church that use profanity. But here's what Paul said, Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. Paul said, Let no, that's N-O, No corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. Now, I know it's fashionable among some to use profanity. When I was growing up, when people used bad language, it wasn't uncommon to hear older folks say, that person needs their mouth washed out with soap. Let me tell you what, we need a barrel full of soap in our world today. And I would submit unto you that there are some members in the church of Christ that need their mouths washed out with soap. We're not to use bad language. We're not to use profanity. Now, I understand that all of us are human beings. There are times in life when we we stumble, when we fall, we say and do things we should not. But it, it should not be characteristic of us. In other words, we ought not to be the kind of people that use bad language and everybody knows about it and laughs about it. It's not funny. It's wrong. That's what what the Bible says. So, when we talk about a good life, a Christian life, we're talking about a powerful life. And then secondly, I would say we are talking about a purposeful life. Look at verse 11. In verse 11, here's what Peter said. Let him turn away from evil and do good. What is our purpose as a child of God? Well, number one, it is to abstain from evil. Number two, is to try to do what's right, to try to do what's good. What are some things that we need to turn away from? Here are some things that I've come up with. Number one, we need to abstain from evil appearances. If you question whether or not something looks wholesome or not, do yourself a favor and don't do it. Chances are, it's not what you ought to be doing. There's a reason why some of us do not go to the casinos and eat. It's because we don't want somebody to see us down there and think we're down there gambling. Here's what Paul said in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 22. Abstain from the very appearance of evil. Just stay away from it. There are times in life when we, when we do things and based on the circumstantial evidence it just looks bad and so stay away from anything and everything that has the appearance of evil and as i said a moment ago if you think if you question whether or not something looks bad the best thing to do stay away from it don't get involved in it now the apostle peter said turn away from evil that is turn away from evil appearances number 2 turn away from evil activities anything that might might be construed from a biblical standpoint as sinful as wrong we want to stay away from it one of the things that i try to tell young people and I, i i want to encourage all of our young people to do what's right to always make right decisions you can save yourself a lot of heartache, a lot of trouble in life if you'll just make the right decisions. When we talk about abstaining from evil activities, let me tell you what. You'll never have, you'll never have any kind of heartache, you'll never have any kind of trouble if you'll stay away from alcohol. I promise you, you won't ever have any trouble in your life with alcohol if you'll just stay away from it. Don't get involved in it. When it comes to drugs, don't take them. When somebody tries to tell you what you need to do, is smoke pot, or take crack, or use cocaine, or some other kind of drug, you tell them, absolutely not. Under no circumstances will I use that stuff. There are a lot of people today that have a lot of problems in life, and one of the reasons is because they have hooked up with the wrong kind of activities in life. There are a lot of fun things in this life. And there are a lot of things that you and I can do that can make us happy, that can bring us a great deal of joy and laughter. And those things do not involve a bottle of alcohol. They don't involve cigarettes. They don't involve going, going and gambling away our money. It doesn't involve any kind of promiscuous activities. Just stay away from that which is evil, as, as, as the Bible warns us. Stay, stay away. From evil activities and then also let me say this abstain from evil associations good people sometimes go down bad roads in life because they hook up with the wrong kinds of people if you have a friend that drinks, smokes cusses does anything else like that do yourself a favor and discard that friend you do not need a friend like that here's what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 33, Be not deceived, evil companionship corrupts good morals. I know sometimes people say, Well, I might be an influence for good on that per- person. Well, maybe so. But chances are, if you run with the devil's crowd, guess what? You're going to end up doing the devil's business. You'll be involved in the devil's deeds. So stay away from that kind of stuff. Stay away from the wrong kind of people. You and I, we have to protect ourselves. That's what Peter is saying here. If you want to see good days, if you want to enjoy life, do yourself a favor and stay away from evil. I wish people could get that in this world. It's amazing to me the number of people in our world, the society in which we live, the problems and the heartaches and the troubles that they face on a daily basis, and many of those problems are self-inflicted. Nobody made you drink drink a bottle of whiskey. Nobody put a gun to your head and said you need to take crack or cocaine or smoke pot or any of that other foolishness. And yet people do that kind of stuff because they think that's where fun is. Peter said, if you want to have a good, productive, happy life, stay away from that kind of stuff. So, there's some things we've got to avoid. Peter said, turn away from evil. But then note what he says. Do good. Again, we're talking about choices in life. You have the choice. You can either do good or do evil. You can choose to do what's right. You can choose to do what's wrong. You can can choose to embrace truth or you can choose to embrace error. The choice is yours. Nobody's going to make you do anything in this life. I know sometimes young people, I remember when I was growing up, Thinking, I've got to do this, I've got to do that. My folks said to do this, they said, don't do that. The reason my folks said to do certain things and to not do certain things is because they had my well being in mind. When you get old enough, don't rebel. Don't say, my parents made me do this, and now I'm going I'm to go out and do what I want now. Respect your parents realize that when they say no, there's a reason for it. When they say yes, there's a reason for it. When they tell you to avoid certain things, there's a reason for it. It's based on wisdom and knowledge. What about doing good? Let me suggest we we involve ourselves in good works. Listen to what was said about Jesus in Acts 10, verse 38. He went about doing good. As a child of God, that's what we're called upon to do, to just be involved in doing what's good. How do we do that? Well, we involve ourselves in good works. In Titus chapter 2, verse 14, the apostle Peter said that we are to be zealous of good works. In chapter 3, verse 1, of that same book, he said, Be ready unto every good work. You and I have the opportunity to involve ourselves in good works. What do we mean when we say do good or be involved in good works? Well, read Matthew 25. Go out and help those who are needy. As Jesus said, I was hungry, what'd you do? You gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, you took me in. I was naked, you clothed me. I was sick in prison, you visited me. Those are good works. Involve yourself in trying to to teach others the gospel of Christ, to lead them to the Lord, to tell them, look, there is a better way. There is someone that can forgive you of every sin so that you can stand pure and just in the eyes of God, that you can enjoy the blessings and the benefits of the King of kings and Lord of lords. So be involved in good works, do good, and then also use your influence for good. We talk about choices in life. We can use what influence we have for good. Now, we can use it for evil as well. But make a concerted effort to be an influence for good. God knows our world needs it today. Don't you think that God in heaven realizes the need for Christian influence in this world? Why do you think Jesus said that we are the salt of the earth, that we are the light of the world in Matthew chapter 5? We are to be a leavening agent for good in this world. Peter said, do good. One of the ways that you can make your mark on this society, on this city, is just be a Christian influence, whether you're young or old. Carry yourself like a Christian. Act like a Christian. Talk like a Christian. Let people know that you belong to the king, that you're a different kind of person because of what the Lord has done for you in this life. A third thing that Peter points out in looking at 1 Peter 3, verses 10 through 12, is that Christianity is a peaceful life. Look at what he says in the latter part of verse 11. Let him seek peace and pursue it. Did you know that as a child of God, as a Christian, that we are the servants of the Prince of Peace in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. In Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, there are five names used to describe the coming of the Messianic King. He is called Wonderful Counselor, Everlasting Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. These are names that are used to describe the Son of God, the coming King. Now, what about this idea of being someone in pursuit of peace? Well, let me just make this observation. You and I, as children of God, we are to be the kind of people who practice peace. Why? Because we serve the Prince of Peace. We have the peace that passes all understanding in our hearts and lives. So with that in mind, look at Romans chapter 12, verse 18. Here's what what the Apostle Paul said. He said, if it's at all possible, live peaceably with all men in a world filled with conflict and hatred and war. Is it not the case that we ought to be striving to live in peace? That we ought to try to practice peace in our own lives? After all, we we enjoy the peace of God There's a sense in which, as a result of our obedience to the gospel, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, as Paul would say in Romans 5, verses 1 and 2. But we're to be the kind of people that practice peace. Look, if you would, in the New Testament at what the inspired writers have to say concerning those who cause division, dissension. The psalmist said in the long ago, behold how good and pleasant it is when brethren dwell together in unity. When there is a sense of unity and harmony and peace existing within the body of Christ. We talk about practicing peace and the importance of such. In Ephesians chapter 4 at verse 3, here's what Paul would say. Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Anybody can cause division. Anybody can stir the pot. It doesn't take an Einstein to tear up a congregation. But it does take someone working diligently to maintain a sense of peace and harmony within the body of Christ. Now we talk about practicing peace. Peter emphasizes the importance of pursuing peace. Let me tell you why peace is so important. In Hebrews chapter 12, at verse 14, the writer said that we are to pursue peace with all men and holiness. Now listen to him without which no man can see the Lord. If you're not a peacemaker and you're not striving to live in peace with those around you, the Lord is saying, you're not going to heaven. You're not going to be in heaven one day. If you're divisive, if you are a troublemaker, if you're one that delights in stirring the pot and circumventing the body of Christ and doing everything you can to tear up the Lord's church, guess what? You're not going to be in heaven. It's interesting that in 2 Peter chapter 3, at verse 14, when the Apostle Peter, and in that context, he's talking about the second coming of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, he said that we are to be diligent to be found by him. In peace. I think God places a premium on peace. We would do well to live in peace. Now, in Matthew chapter 5, at verse 9, Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers. People that enjoy life and have good days, they live in peace. Not only do they live in peace, but they're interested in in cultivating an atmosphere of peace. They're, they're They're interested in doing everything within their power to make for peaceful conditions within the body of Christ. Fourthly, let me suggest that as God's people, that... We have a good life because it's a prayerful life. Look at verse 12. For the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous. His ears are open to their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. The blessings of prayer. Let me just cite for you a couple of things along these lines. Number one, the assurance of prayer. One of the greatest spiritual blessings that you and I enjoy as a child of God is prayer. It is a spiritual blessing based on Ephesians 1 verse 3. Listen to what the Bible says. The eyes of the Lord are over the righteous. His ears are open to their prayers. What a great assurance to know that the Lord will listen attentively to our prayers. That is a tremendous spiritual blessing that we enjoy. You want to talk about living a happy life, a good life, well, you just think about the great resource of prayer and what it means to you on a daily basis. Now, we talk about the assurances of prayer, but there is also what we would call the admonition to pray. The assurance The assurance of prayer, the admonition to be prayerful. You see, Jesus taught in Luke 18, verse 1, that men ought always to pray and not to faint. In Colossians chapter 4, at verse 2, Paul would say, Continue steadfastly in prayer, watching therein with thanksgiving. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 17, Paul would say, Pray without ceasing. We are admonished over and over and over again to be people of prayer. So, the assurance of prayer, the admonition to pray, but then let me just cite for you the advantages of prayer. What are the advantages of praying to God? James said, the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much what James is saying is it is not only a privilege to pray but there is power in prayer let me ask this question do you ever become despondent in life do you ever get discouraged do you ever face trials and tribulations and temptations in life do you ever worry are you filled with anxiety here's what you need to do pray why pray because you are turning to a god that has the power to intercede in your life. One of the greatest privileges that we enjoy as God's people is prayer. There are a lot of things that we bear in this life. All of us have have our difficulties, our trials, our anxieties. Here's what Paul counseled in Philippians chapter 4. He said, In nothing be anxious, but in everything with prayer and supplication and thanksgiving. Let your request be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Paul is saying, Don't worry. Don't be filled with anxiety. Turn it over to the Lord. Sometimes that's easier said than done, but that is the admonition. Why? Because God has the ability to bring tranquility to your life. God has the ability to help you in times of discouragement, even in times of temptation. In Hebrews chapter 2, at verse 18. The Bible says, speaking of Christ, that in that he himself was tempted, he is able to aid those who are tempted. The Lord understands what we're going through. and So we have the opportunity to literally lay it before his throne. Peter said, casting all your care on him, for he cares for you. Let me just, let me just ask this question. In your life, have there there been occasions when when you have borne some great adversity, when you have had some severe trial that has been like a weight on your shoulders, and you have wondered whether or not to seek the counsel of a friend or a family member? And you've battled back and forth. Should I go to them? Should I tell them what I'm going through? Should I bear my soul to them or not? You ever been there? You ever thought about doing that? Have you ever thought about bearing your soul to another person only to step back and and say, I can't do it. I can't open up. I can't put that on someone else. Maybe it's pride. Maybe it's embarrassment. Maybe it's out of concern for the other person's welfare. Whatever the case may be, here's the point. There is nothing that you need to withhold from God. You don't have to hold back on anything. There is not a trial too severe, a problem too great, a situation too complex that you can't turn it over to Almighty God. After all, He sees all, He knows all. God knows you inside out. He knows, as the psalmist said, your frame. He remembers that you are dust. What you and I ought to do is take everything to Him in prayer. Lay it at His throne with the understanding that God in His goodness and in His providential care will do what's right and He'll do what's best. I would close with this in talking about prayer. When we lay our anxieties our difficulties, our trials, our wishes, our wants at the throne of God, we always ought to remember God knows what's best. He knows what is absolutely best for you in this life, at this point in time in your life. What we have to do is learn to trust in Him. I think that's why Solomon said, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not under your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He will direct your paths. Turn it over to God. Here's the beauty of it. When you do that, you'll have a good life. You'll sleep better at night. You'll work more productively during the day. You'll be happier overall because you understand that you're trying to do what the Lord would have you to do. So, If you're not a Christian, I would hope that in some small way we have made a case for you to live a Christian life. It's the best life. I'm not saying we're perfect, because we're not. But Christianity affords you the best possible life on earth. Maybe you're here tonight. You're not a Christian. Here's what you need to do. You need to believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Put your faith and trust in Him, as the Hebrew writer says in Hebrews 11. Willingly repent. That means change your lifestyle. Jesus said, except you repent, you'll all likewise perish in Luke 13, 3. Confess the name of Christ before others. You believe Jesus to be the Son of God, Matthew 10, 32. And then be immersed in water. So that every sin can be washed away, Acts 22, verse 16. When you do that, God will then add you to his family. And you'll be called one of his children. And if you live faithfully until death, the promise is the crown of life, James 1, verse 12. If you're here tonight and you're not faithful to the cause of Christ, why not come home? Why not let us pray with you and for you and God will abundantly pardon James said, confess your faults one to another. Pray one for another. Could we pray with you and for you tonight as we stand and sing?